Our Bible reading is taken from Psalm 99, and I would like you to follow with me. The words will be on the screen, but if you have your own Bible, it would be good of you to turn to the place and look at the words as you follow the scripture reading. Psalm 99, let's hear the words of God. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgivest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures today. Now, many weeks ago, I commenced a short but necessary series of messages on the holiness of God. And sadly, I believe that this is a most neglected area of study, especially within the Christian church. One, of course, that is gravely understood by many even professing Christians. Now, my first message was entitled God's Holiness and the Character of Our Sovereign God from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is, which was, which is to come. My second sermon was entitled God's Holiness and the Curse of Sin from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. My third sermon was entitled God's Holiness and the Comfort of Saints from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I then preached a fourth message in this theme, God's Holiness and the Commands of Scripture, based on Numbers 15, verse 14. My fifth message on the series was God's Holiness and the Cross of Our Saviour, thinking of the words in Psalm 22, verse 3. And last week I preached a sixth sermon on this series entitled God's Holiness and the Call to Salvation, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Now today I want to preach a seventh sermon on this series, and my theme today is entitled God's Holiness and the Communion of Servants. A rather strange title. Listen to these words. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. That's my text. 
Psalm 99, verse 5. I've given you the text. Think of the theme. God's holiness and the communion of servants. Now, Psalm 99 is a psalm about the holiness of God. Even a very casual reading of the word sets that theme forth very clearly. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great prince of Baptist preachers, calls Psalm 99 the holy, holy, holy psalm. You see, few psalms in the Psalter set forth the holiness of God in the same way that this psalm does. The subject here is a very single-minded one. The Lord our God is holy. Now notice how the psalm commences. Look at the words. The Lord reigneth. Do you see that? It then adds, let the people tremble. See, what the psalmist is doing here is setting forth a series of great statements that must thrill the soul of every true servant of the Lord, every true worshiper that comes before him. The Lord reigneth. How does he reign? Well, he reigns sovereignly today. He reigns supremely. He reigns sinlessly. He reigns, of course, singularly and savingly, but he reigns successfully. Here we're introduced to the Lord and the throne of the whole world. The, the entire universe is to tremble before him in his presence. The children of men are to be in total awe of him. See, the Lord is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. He is unlimited in his power. He's unending in his wisdom. His authority is absolute. He is the maker and the governor of the whole universe. And there's not one atom that moves anywhere in the whole of space without the input of his power. He is perfectly sovereign today in all places, in all periods of time, even over all people. Do you know today that he is Lord even over the fallen angels who rebelled against him? He rules and reigns over every sinful person, including those this morning who don't fear him or even know him or have bowed the knee to him. You see, this morning he is the true and the living God. And the God of the Bible has no equal. He is God alone. He is supreme in his greatness, in his justice, in his power, in his strength. There, there, there's no one above him. There's no one before him. There's no one beside him. There's no one beyond him. And here's the psalmist. And he's taken up with the being of God. And he thinks of these words, the Lord reigns. Or the Lord reigneth. And as he thinks of that, he's saying, let the earth tremble. The psalmist is taken up with the being of God. And especially he is overwhelmed by God's holiness. You see, Psalm 99 has three sections. If you look at them, verses 1 to 3, the first section. Verses 4 to 5, the second section. And then 6 to 9, the third section. And notice how each section ends. Look at verse 3. What does it say? 
for it is holy. It's a reference to God's name. Let them, that's the people, praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. And then when we look at verses 4 and 5, how does verse 5 end? For he is holy. And then when we come down to verse 9, there's a repetition of the words, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Why? For the Lord our God is holy. You see, here's the psalmist, and in his mind, as he begins to think of who and what God is, he is meditating and remember on this theme the Lord reigns, He knows that he's the living and the true God, but he is mindful that this living and true God is thrice holy. And isn't it sad today? But isn't it true today that many in the church have lost sight of who and what God is? Many today never have had a life-changing sight of the holiness of God. Certainly not like Isaiah had in the year that King Uzziah died when he saw the Lord. And it's a reference, of course, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Nor has anyone had a life-changing sight of the holiness of God like, like John had on the Isle of Patmos. I've asked myself this week when last did I have an overwhelming sight of the holiness of God. I've thought much about my own sinfulness. I've thought much about my desperately wicked, sinful heart. And I must confess this morning that I am unable to really or to fully comprehend anything of the holiness of God. Now, I believe, of course, this morning that God's holiness is the crown jewel of his whole being and character. That this is what defines God. Stephen Sharnock, in his tremendous treatise on the existence and the attributes of God, points out that the Lord is absolutely glorious in his holiness. And he thought and suggested this truth that we don't read that God is eternal, 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 or merciful, 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 or loving, loving, loving. No, God is intrinsic in his holiness. It's what really defines him. He can't be God without being infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably holy. He he is alone in his holiness. He is nothing apart from pure, absolute holiness. Now here in Psalm 99, the mood of the psalmist, as he contemplates the Lord reigns, And the holiness of God, the mood here is one of reverence, one of submission, one of infamacy. As he comes before the awesome holiness of God. Now as we contemplate this morning who God is and what God is like, remember as we offer praise, as we come to adore and worship, we're worshiping the God who is thrice holy. And the holiness of our God must and ought to have an impact on our worship of him. See, God's holiness is connected to the great subject of worship. See, God's holiness must impact upon how we worship him. Look at our text this morning. Psalm 99 and verse 5. What does it say? 
Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Now, three things this morning. The wonderful privilege involved in true worship. Think of this command twice in the psalm. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. See, the psalmist here is teaching us about who God is. Teaching us about the uniqueness of his person. Yes, he's the true and the living God. Yes, he's the one who reigns over all the earth. Yes, he's the true king over the world. Yes, the great theme here is of royalty and majesty and purity and sovereignty and and, 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 and dominion and power. But in light of that, we're to do something. And what are we to do? We're to exalt the Lord our God and to worship at his footstool. See, Psalm 99 has to do with the worship of God in the light of his holiness. This word footstool, you've got to think of an item of furniture. This footstool would sit right below the throne. It would be the object upon which the king would place his feet upon. If you turn over there in your Bible to um, the uh, book of First Chronicles, and in First Chronicles uh, chapter 9 and the verse 18, we read about Solomon. And it says in the context, first or second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 17 and 18, it says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. And there were six steps to the throne with a footstool of gold. Notice that. Which were fastened to the throne and stays in each side of the sitting place and two lions standing by the stays. You see, the footstool denotes power over the enemy. This footstool was one that was situated just at the front of the throne and the king would have put his feet under it. You think of olden times when the king conquered a city. Slaves of men and women became the servants of that king, entered into a life of servitude. And whenever they were brought in, they were uh, hands were tied, they were made to kneel, before the king, and they became his footstool. And oftentimes the king himself would place his feet or his foot upon their neck with his feet resting on their back. And it was a symbol of power over the enemy. It was a symbol of rule and dominion. And the psalmist is using this picture to set forth a great truth. And the truth is this, that all and everyone who has and will oppose the Lord will be made his footstool. Think of these scriptures this morning. In Psalm 110 and in the verse 1, we read these words. And of course, this is after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is his return to heaven. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And if you link up that scripture this morning with what we read in the book of Hebrews, 
We read in Hebrews chapter 10, we think of verse 12, for example, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Look at verse 13. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Do, do you see that? It's the same Lord Jesus, after he had made one sacrifice for sins, a sacrifice that was accepted by God, and the proof that was accepted is the doctrine of the resurrection. Here he is now seated at the right hand of God, and, and, and the Lord is saying unto him, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. You think today of the nations of the world. You think of how they they live in rebellion to Christ. And one day, and that day is coming, when it will be fully and finally realized that the Lord Jesus has made his enemies his footstool. It suggests complete triumph and victory. One day the Lord Jesus will and shall make all his enemies his footstool. And the entire nations of the world and every individual in them will be subject to him. Now today I believe one of the most amazing privileges is that this same Lord Jesus has subdued many of us by the power of his grace as well as the power of his glory. That is, he has brought us to his feet now. That he has caused us to bow in humiliation and in repentance before him. And we have tasted and experienced the grateful grace and mercy of God on the ground of the shed blood. You, you think of that cry of the publican in Luke 18, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Remember Peter, Lord, save me, I perish. Remember the dying thief, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And if you're saved this morning, if you've been subdued by the grace of God, if you're being succored by the uh, power of Christ, if you're being supplied even in all your need, if you're being strengthened this morning, then you rejoice in that day when you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and received him as Lord and Savior. You see, exalt ye... um, The Lord our God, these words that we've been thinking about this morning, exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Remember, is God inviting us, God desiring us, those that he's chosen, those that he's called, those that he's cleansed by the blood of Christ to come and worship at his throne today. He is no longer angry with us. He has put away his wrath from us. Uh, He has put away his condemnation. He sees us in Christ. We are no longer strangers but sons. We are no longer foes but friends. We are no longer separated from him. But we've been saved by him. We've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. And he gives us this wonderful privilege of coming to to worship him, to praise him, to, to magnify him. And how do we do that? Well, we do it, of course, as the Bible tells us, in the beauty of his holiness. In Psalm 29 and in the verse 2, we read the words, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let's think about being a worshiper of God this morning. Remember what we read in John chapter 4. Think of verse 23, verse 24. But the hour cometh, 
And now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be a worshiper of God. To be chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. To be called in the fullness of time to repent and believe the gospel. To be cleansed by the power of Christ's blood. To to be counseled by the Lord through his word and by his spirit. To, to, To be cared for by this loving, merciful God. We could still be one of his enemies. But glory to God, we've been regenerated by the Spirit. Glory to God, we've been redeemed. Glory to God, we've been reconciled. Glory to God, we're regarded as His. He says today, thou art mine. We are His children. We are His subjects. We are His servants. And we can render to Him true spiritual worship. And could I just add this morning... That we're not doing God a favor when we give of our time to worship on the Sabbath day. We're not doing God a favor when we come and present ourselves before him. We're certainly not doing God a favor when we donate a tithe of our income to the work of God. The Lord has done us a wonderful favor. The Lord has saved us by his grace in the ground of the blood. The Lord has subdued us so that we have come in repentance and faith before him. The Lord has enabled us to to come and worship him. And it's a wonderful privilege this morning that's involved in true worship. So when the Bible says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, let's think of the wonderful privilege that's involved. I want you to think secondly of the rightful position that's involved in true worship. We're going to focus in on these words, worship at his footstool. What does that mean? It means surely adopting a true spiritual position. It has to do with our hearts and our minds. It has to do with the attitude. It has to do with the way we come. It has to do with the way we approach this thrice holy God who's on the throne. Isn't there a great battle today going on within the Christian church in regards to worship? Aren't these perilous times for the worship of God? Why? Well, true modern culture has affected the church. And we have lost sense of who God is. And we have lost the thought of God's holiness. You see, modern man wants a God that he can use. A God that he feels that he has need of. We certainly have lost sight of one who is to be loved, obeyed, and served. We think of God as one who exists to meet our need, but not one before whom we should fear or tremble. We think of God as one who exists to serve us, but not one that we should surrender to. Not one who is the Lord our God. You see, the modern church, of course, is infatuated with the love of God. Now, I believe in the subject of the love of God. But sadly, modern man in the modern church is trying to, to use God. They use God in a, in a therapeutic way. 
They use God especially in times of trouble. And it's all about how the individual feels within himself. Does he feel good when he comes to worship? Does he get a kick out of it, a a buzz out of it, an emotional experience? And you see, modern worship has to do with man's preferences, what, what man likes to do. And the danger, of course, in all of this is is a man-centered worship, full of man's ideas, man's philosophy. It's no longer God-centered. It's not focused on the holiness of God. Sadly, it's a mere form of entertainment. Now, I believe, of course, that true worship will be a very enjoyable experience. But it's only enjoyable as much as we exalt and magnify the Lord our God in the beauty of holiness. If I get asked this morning, what is the point of true worship? Surely the real reason for true worship is to honor, exalt, glorify, and praise the Lord. That is due to him. It's not to worship the God of self. It's to worship a God who's absolutely sovereign. And here's this rightful position involved in true worship. Worship at his footstool. How? You you contrast that command with the ideas and the philosophies and the views of puny, proud, arrogant man. But glory to God, of course, that proud, puny, arrogant man can't ever dethrone God. And God commands us in his holiness to come and take this position. Worship at his footstool. Let's remember the one we are worshiping this morning. Let's remember where we are worshipping. We're to worship at his footstool. We can't approach God arrogantly. We we can't approach God haughtily. We we, we, we can't uh, approach God impenitently. When we come to God, we must take our place at his feet. We must remember he is the rightful king of heaven. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. Tremble at his feet. What does it mean? Surely it means to worship him reverently. If the Lord reigns and rules the entire universe, the universe that he made, the universe that he maintains, if he has unlimited wisdom and power and might and mercy and rules over all, all places, all peoples, all periods, if man's not in charge, If it's not human governments that controls the world, if it's not Satan, and remember Satan only rules under God's permission. You see, it's God who determines the length of our days. It's God who determines the events of our life. It's God who holds the breath that we breathe and enjoy. And what are we to do? We're to tremble before him. If he appoints all in every blessing, if he is the one who withholds every blessing, then when we praise him this morning, and praise him we ought to, we must do it reverently. We must be in awe of him. We must adore him. We must remember he is far above all. Sadly, we live in an age of irreverence. We have lost sight of having a regard and a reverence and a fear of God. See, worship today is portrayed as a fun thing, as a cool thing, as a feel-good thing. We worship a God of our imagination, a God like me. 
I know that we must be excited about God. But we must exalt him. And all that we do in the journey of life should be governed by this revelation of who God is and what he's like. And we should approach him not in a cool way or a careless way or a casual way. We're worshipping a God who is thrice holy. And I just want to say this morning, I believe there's no doctrine more hated by the world of ungodly men than this doctrine that our God is holy. Many use every attack to undermine the concept of the holiness of God. Many have no fear or thought of God. They're vain in their own thoughts and ideas and their notions. They're like Mr. Silly in the children's address this morning. They're wise in their own eyes. They won't listen to counsel. And many who approach God refuse to listen to counsel. And they come in a very careless, casual way. (coughs) And it's all to do with the mood of the worshipper rather than the majesty of the maker. And we must learn to worship him reverently. Could I suggest it also means to worship him submissively? If the Lord is an absolute monarch and the Lord reigneth, and if he reigns and rules over all because he's holy, then listen to what it says in verse 4. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost ex- establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. In other words, he's of sound and good judgment. He's full of discernment. He's fair and right in everything that he does. He is wise and good. There's not one sparrow that falls to the ground that our Heavenly Father doesn't know about. There's not one hair of our head that he hasn't numbered. He knows all about you. He has ordained all that comes to pass. There's a little story told in the Daily Bread many, many years ago about a flight 119 out of Chicago. And an individual believer was rushing to catch that 119 flight. And he sadly was delayed and he he couldn't make it. And of course, um, that plane crashed. 254 people died. And this one man who was delayed from getting on the flight was, was saved. And of course, it was written into the little book of Martin de Hans that God was at work. Sometime later, the Daily Bread people got a letter, and the letter was from a widow of a man called Edward Elliot. And he was the pastor of Garden Grove Orthodox Presbyterian Church in California. And uh, she wrote in that letter that her husband, who was also her minister, he was running to make that flight. And he caught it. And he was one of the 254 people that died. And she thought of the picture of him running to catch the plane. And she thought of him as running to heaven. You see, all events. Think of this. One believer saved. And another believer taken to heaven. And God is at work. And God reigns. And maybe today you're facing tragic news. And you've been shattered by sad events that have happened. Remember Job? He lost his livestock and his farm all in one day. He lost his ten children in one day. The house fell. 
he, he was smitten with a terrible disease and boils. He was asking, where's God? His wife suggested, curse God and die. And I remember what Job says in Job uh, chapter 2 and in the verse 10. And he said, but he said unto her, thou speaketh as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. And maybe this morning you're listening to me and you're going through a trial. Maybe it's the loss of a child and you've been crushed by bereavement and you've been plunged into misery and grief and shock has taken hold upon you. Maybe you're having marriage problems that you can't resolve. Maybe you're coping with sickness in the body. Maybe it's a fear of losing your job and having no money to pay your bills. Maybe it's a fear of one of your children dying and not being saved and taken out into the world. Maybe it's a fear of World War III. Maybe it's a fear of how you're going to cope and survive. Maybe it's a fear of catching this coronavirus. But remember, God's in control. The Lord reigns. And God cares for you this morning. And he's too wise to make a mistake. He's too good to do anything bad. He's too deep to explain himself. You see, Job didn't get any answer. But he didn't blame his friends. He didn't blame himself. He didn't blame Satan. He didn't blame any secondary cause. Even though he was discouraged, even though he was depressed, even though he was despairing, what did he do? He bowed the knee at his footstool. Though he slay me, he said, yet will I trust him. In other words, Lord, you have saved me. Lord, you're the one that succored me. Lord, you're holy in your name and in your nature. Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. It's about the majesty of your being. You see, he bowed the knee before God. He humbled himself. The footstool is indeed a lowly place, a place of subjection, a place of humility. And, and he, he worshipped in a very subjective, in a very humble way. Could I suggest also it's to worship him adoringly? Remember we read in this uh, text, it says in verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Think of those words, our God, being in a right relationship to him. Let me ask you this morning, are you in a right relationship with God? Do you know the cleansing from sin? Have you approached him penitently? Have you got his ear this morning? Do you approach him in the ground of the blood and plead for mercy. Remember we read here of how God heard the prayers of Aaron and Moses and Samuel. And, and Samuel, of course, in 1 Samuel 8, 21, was one that spake into God's ear. And then we read in the scriptures that God came and spake into to Samuel's ears. And Samuel, we read in the scriptures here, heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. Samuel had the ear of God. And all of these men that's mentioned, they feel God in a particular way. They sinned against him. Aaron, 
Remember, set up the idolatry of the golden calf worship. Moses, remember, he struck the rock, even though he was the meekest of men. Samuel, his sons didn't follow him. He, he appointed them to the priesthood, but they broke his heart because they were not men of God. They, they were actually sinful individuals who'd never repented. And yet, what did they do? They confessed their sin. They, they prayed to God for forgiveness on the ground of the shed blood. They cried, and God answered their prayers. Maybe you're thinking this morning, what's the point of me praying? I want to tell you, God hears and answers prayer. I believe there's a link between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And and of course, we, we don't reconcile those two friends. There's no need to. God invites us and instructs us to come and kneel before him, to, to call upon him. And to be servants at his footstool. And we're to worship him adoringly because he's our God. You think of how you adore family and friends. How a man adores his wife and a wife adores her husband. And how a father and mother adores their children. And, 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 and is in, is, is, feels a wonderful privilege and a blessing. Well, it's the same thought here. He's, he's our God. I'm in a right relationship with him. I am saved this morning. I am his. The blood has been applied. Is that true of you this morning? Can you worship him reverently? Could you worship him submissively in all the events, even the dark, difficult events of life? Can you worship him adoringly because he's your God this morning? Do you know him? Are you his? Are you saved this morning? Are you in a right relationship with him? Maybe you're cold and backslidden. You need to repent and get right with God. Could I suggest a third thing this morning? Not only the wonderful privilege involved in true worship, and not only the rightful position involved in true worship, but think of the biblical parts involved in true worship. Think of this word, worship. It's mentioned twice in the psalm. And what's the core parts of true worship this morning? Let me suggest to you as we close, praise. We were singing this morning that lovely hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like thee his praise should sing. Praise him, praise him, praise the everlasting King, singing hymns of praise to God. Is God not jealous for his glory? Is singing not a part of true worship? Of course, we we must be careful as we approach this God. But we come with praise. Even though our praise is tainted with much sin and imperfection, we're commanded to praise him. And, And the Bible says, I will joy over thee with singing. The Bible tells us God's inhabitants, the praises of his people. And whether it's the voice of a nightingale or the voice of a crow, we unite together, even in our homes, as you have hymned the, the, the words, as you have meditated upon them, you've been worshiping God, not only with your lips, but on your heart. That's a true biblical part of worship. And that's, of course, why we have singing in the house of God. But we also have prayer. It's another part. And, of course, when we think of the word pray, P-R-A-Y, again, I think of praise. There has to be thanksgiving. The Bible says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. And think of the word R. It stands for remission. We have to confess our sins to God and ask him to forgive us. 
If we're truly forgiven of God, we'll have a forgiving spirit. But we will ask him, as the Lord's Prayer instructs us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And remember, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. And we do sin against him in thought and word and deed. We have our own ideas, our views, our, 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 we, we take our own counsel, we're wise in our own eyes. And we need to repent of that before the Lord. And of course, think of the letter A, it stands for adoration. And we must adore him. O come all ye faithful, let us adore him. In other words, out of love for him. We're we're overjoyed of being in a right relationship with him. We're, we're, We're filling our mind of who he is. And then, of course, think of the why. And it means yield yourself to him. Have you ever done that as a sinner? Do you do that daily as a child of God? Lord, help me in the onward march of life. Not only is there praise and prayer, but there's a presentation. You see, when you come into the house of God or even gather in your homes in this online church experience, you're presenting yourself before the living and the true God. And not only to present ourselves, and of course, isn't it true that in church at Corinthian, um, they, they presented themselves first to the Lord. And you see, the Lord wants you. The Lord wants you to give yourself entirely to him. The Lord wants you to do it in penitence and faith. He wants you to exercise repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He he wants you to present your body and say, Here am I, Lord. Take all that there is of me. There's also the presentation of gifts. And that's why, of course, every Lord's Day, we invite you to uh, join in the offering. The offering is an act of worship. We worship God in our giving. We do so in thankfulness to what God has given us. And we're we're, we're mindful that all good gifts have come from heaven above. And if the Lord has blessed us with health and strength, then we can give a little portion, not only of our money, but we can give of our time to God. There's a presentation. And of course, then there's the preaching. God speaks to us via his word. Over there in the book of Acts, when there was a problem in the church, remember what the holy apostles uh, said to uh, the people involved in the problem? He says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And of course, worship involves the preaching of the word of God. That's what Ezra was doing in Ezra's day in a pulpit of wood when the law of God was read and and the priest there gave the sense. Now these are all biblical parts that are involved in true worship. And I just want to ask you today to be mindful of those words that we have read in John um, chapter 4. Remember the Lord Jesus, he was speaking to the woman at the well And she had introduced the subject of worship to him. And he said to her in John chapter 4, 22, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for their Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, these are the core parts of worship. Praise, prayer, presenting 
ourselves and our gifts, preaching of the word of God. I suggest to you this morning that sadly in the modern church, these biblical parts have been forgotten about or are left to the one side. Could I suggest to you a little illustration? You think of a school teacher this morning. She's got a boy in the class called Johnny. There's a class of, say, 26. She sets her homework. It's an English homework. She wants a two-page essay on a particular subject, gives it to him the Friday, hand it in on the Monday. Johnny comes in on the Monday and he hands in the homework. And what's Johnny's homework? It's a lovely drawing of a dragon. She calls Johnny up. What's this? Oh, miss, I couldn't be bothered writing the essay, but I came up with this idea. My thought, my view, to present a picture of a dragon. Beautiful picture. A great artwork. But it wasn't what she wanted. It wasn't acceptable to her. And she had to tear it up on his face. And she had to tell him, no, Johnny, that's not what I wanted. I I wanted this. And you've given me something different. And it's not what modern man is doing. It's not what the modern church is doing. They, they, They have left off the beauty of holiness. They have left off praying to this thrice holy God. They have left off presenting themselves, worshipping at his footstool because they have forgot about coming reverently and submissively and adoringly to him. And many have left off the preaching of the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Dr. Paisley, the late Dr. Paisley, used to say, sermonettes produces Christianettes. And we thank God, make no apology for an exposition of the word of God. And I say, let Northern Ireland flourish with the preaching of the word of God. Let the word of God be heard. Because that's a central part of true worship. I commend this text of scripture to you. Think of these words, exalt ye the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool, for he is holy. May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening.